All right, Revelation chapter 22. When they broke up the chapters in the Bible, they broke it here. There is a kind of break here, a kind of finishing of the thought process of eternal glory. Some of it is repetitious when he gets to verse uh, 5 and talks about no night again in the sun. Though there is the conjunction and that's been working all the way through these chapter, this chapter. The last we looked at it, talked about in verse 21, 23, 22 was no temple, 23 was no need of the sun, 24, the nations uh, bringing their glory and honor into it, and then 27, the exclusion of whatever is defiling, whatever is abominable, whatever, under the curse of God still, whatever makes a lie not written in the Lamb's book of life. So then he, in this conclusion, in this crowning glory of heaven, this, this is a kind of a crowning verse, verse 1, 1 and 2, and he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. And on either side of the river, the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, yielding her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. We just talked about the nations bringing their glory into it. And uh, here is the character and nature of those nations, that they're, they've been healed uh, by God. And there shall no more be a curse, but the throne of God and, the, and of the Lamb shall be in it. As he has spoken before, he puts God and the Lamb always together in the throne and his servants shall serve him and they shall see his face and his name shall be in their foreheads, ownership, and there shall be no night there, no need of the candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. And sometimes the wondering is, what do they reign over? Um, because there's a change now, and there's no evil there. But I think it's, it's a reigning in life, just like the Christian begins to reign in life. He says in Romans chapter 6, that whole chapter dealing with sanctification, talks about how we change and we begin to reign in life because we have the life of God in us. In verse 6, and he said, These things are faithful and true, and the Lord God of the holy prophets sent his angel to show unto his servants the things which must shortly be done. Father, we thank you for uh, your word again, and as we think about the eternal state, we pray that you would give us understanding in it and give each one that new heart and new nature to desire such a thing, and uh, it is a glorious thing, and help us to understand something of that glory. We pray that you would uh, be with us on this Lord's Day as we gather together uh, in your name 
and on the day of the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ to celebrate our Lord Jesus Christ, his accomplishing salvation in our behalf uh, because we were lost and undone. We thank you, Lord, for the week that you have given to us, uh, the lessons of the week and opportunities of the week. And we pray that in the midst of all things, we are ever and always looking to thee to forgive our sins, cleanse us from unrighteousness, and continue to lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. We pray, Father, that you would be with your church. And as your Sabbath goes on around the world, that you would bless your church in all parts of the globe and continue to get much glory for yourself. And uh, that here in this place that we would learn to reverence you and uh, to abide with you and that you would abide with us and that you would uh, teach us your word today and send thy spirit and to instruct us. We pray in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. In Revelation 22 and verse 1, he shows him a pure river of water of life that's clear as crystal and it's proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb in the midst of the street of it. So it's, it's very much central in the picture uh, that is being given to us. We value purity. According to data from the International Bottled Water Association in 2019, each American consumed on average 43 gallons of bottled water. That same year, the U.S. produced 14.3 billion gallons of bottled water. And why do we, of course, our, our, our fathers would have never dreamed of any of this stuff, buying water in bottles, but why do we do it? And, and why, why is it done and why does it, why are they able to sell? because we value purity, because purity is better than contamination. And we know that flowing water is better than stagnant water. And so these are the pictures that John has shown by Christ. That's a pure river of water of life. Water is life and contaminated water is death. Pure water is life and it's most desirable. So this represents to John that eternal life, that pure life, that holy life that comes from God. Death is our great enemy and life is our great blessing and there's no greater contrast. And what is heaven? Heaven is life. It is life without end and it's life without uh, contamination and it's life above and beyond what we presently know or experience. So he has shown this pure, pure river of water of life that's clear as crystal. In the Beatitudes, Christ said, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. A bestowal of purity is a bestowal of eyes to see God. If we have purity, then we can see God. If we have a pure heart, then we have been made right with God and we can see God again. Here in this picture is this constant flowing water out of the throne of God and out of the Lamb, obviously telling us that all purity and all holiness and all life flows from God, it comes from God. It comes from God how? Through Christ, it's, it's of God and of the Lamb because that's how that life comes to us. 
Christ said to his disciples, he that is washed needs not to save, but to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. And you are clean, he said to them. You are clean. You've been washed. So the saints have been purified. We are justified in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the whole idea of salvation is an idea of cleaning and cleansing and purifying. And though we know experientially that it comes in stages, that there is the legal aspect of it. So he says, you're clean. That's the legal aspect of it. We come to that knowledge, the logizmo, accounting ourselves righteous before God because of Christ. So we have that cleansing so our conscience can be cleansed. We know that we've been made right through a right process by what God did because everything God does is right. But he says, still, you need to wash your feet. So there's more cleansing yet to be done. And our Lord Jesus Christ said of Judas, you're not all clean because he wasn't clean. He had not been justified and it was going to be made known eventually. So there's a, there's a cleansing that has already taken place, but there's more to come. And then in Revelation 22, and we jump up to verse 11, it says, He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is filthy, be filthy still. Righteous, righteous still. Holy, holy still. So there is, at some point, a confirmation in righteousness, a confirmation in purity and in, in cleansing. So we see the whole process of justification, which is legal, sanctification, which is going on for the believer as a testimony in the world, and then glorification, which is the end goal of salvation and the completion of salvation and of the new creation. And he also said in John that we are clean through the word that is spoken to us. So we know there's a cleansing there. That's how we came to justification. We came through the word of God, the preaching of the word of God, the preaching of the gospel. So it was by that word from God that we were cleansed legally and then we're sanctified by the word also. So we're also cleansed by regular preaching of the word, regular study in the word of God. This is a cleansing agent that God uses. So here we have a river then in heaven, the picture is given to us, a pure river of water of life, and it's flowing out of the throne. And so there is a constant communication and of that, <clears throat> of what we, what we call the sanctifying word, that word that sets us apart unto God in heaven, there will be a constant communication of the truth, a constant communication of the word of God. Uh, there will be no hit and miss in heaven, um, but it will be a constant thing. So that Paul, when he's talking to Timothy, his protege, he speaks to his protege about a pure heart and a pure conscience, a pure conscience and a pure heart that Timothy is to strive for these things in which he knows that you can't see God without these things. You can't grow in God without these things. And when we were in the previous chapters in the book of Revelation, we saw that the saints were given in heaven this linen clean and white, and it's always called that clean. And it's the same word that's used here for this pure, the pure water, uh, river of water of life. So there is this purity that's emphasized in the garments we wear 
and now in this river that we have. Sin separates us from God and defilement hinders us and the old nature makes us a wretched man that we are. But, Paul says, we shall be delivered. But we're going to be delivered. And so here this river of water of life is a picture of that deliverance. Now, rivers, rivers are life-giving. And, and as we study history, we know that if you want to find out where most any metropolis started, it was beside some river somewhere. That's where they located. They located there for transportation. They located there to set up their mills. They located there because uh, rivers are life-giving. So here we have a, a river uh, by which the heavenly world is populated, the pure communication from God to men. So from God to men. In the desert, they didn't have rivers, so God miraculously brought water out of the rock. It was from God to Israel. And for the individual Christian in John 4.14, the scripture says, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but the water that I shall give him shall be in him a well of water springing up into everlasting life, which is an artesian springing up, bubbling up out of the ground. So it's not something that <clears throat> comes and goes. There's possibility of it, of it being cut off. Our wells on this earth, we may dig a well, and then our neighbor may dig a well, which has happened many times, <clears throat> down the road from you, and all of a sudden you don't have a well, and they have a well. Because at one time when they had a tsunami over in Japan, Ron was telling me in Virginia, they had a change in the water level in Virginia in many of the uh, places because of that happening over there in another part of the world. But in salvation, we are given what's called an artesian well. So, and the picture is it never stops. It just keeps coming. If you get an artesian well, when you drill for your well, then you have to take pipe and piping and you have to put it somewhere because it just keeps coming. And so my father-in-law had however many gallons a minute going into his pond when he drilled the next well that God gave him because it ended up being an artesian. So in salvation, it's the picture that there's never a stop of a communication of, of life to the believer. It's a constant flow of life. In fact, there's so much being communicated to us, there's a lot that gets by us all the time. It's going in the pond. Maybe someday we'll get some of that and understand some of that. But there's this fullness and superabundance of life that is given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. And here we have the eternal artesian coming out of the throne of God. In Revelation 21.6, he had said, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the fountain of the water of life freely. So one of the evidences of salvation is God gives us a thirst. He gives us a thirst for himself, for his people, for the word of God. It's a thirst that he puts in the new nature, the new man. It's one of the evidences that we, we, we have salvation, that we have the new man. He puts a thirst in us. And that thirst is guaranteed to be filled 
on a regular basis as he's good to us from day to day as we use the means that he gives us, but also there is this final and full giving to us who, are, who have thirsted after him by the new nature. In Revelation twenty-two seventeen, and the spirit and the bride say, come, and let him that heareth say, come, and let him that is athirst come, and whoever will, let him take the water of life freely. You can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. And you can give a person a Bible, but you can't make them read that Bible. But you give them a new nature, and they'll be in that Bible. And they'll be reading it. And they'll be studying it. Psalm 36. Let's go there for just a moment. Psalm 36. In verse 8. They shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of thy house, and thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. Of the river of thy pleasures. And one of the commentators quoted Keats, a quip from a poem, an endless fountain of immortal drink pouring unto us from the heaven's brink. So what I want us to think about is this text in which he says, Thou shalt make them drink of the river of thy pleasures. What are the river? What is the river of the pleasures of God? In Psalm 46, Psalm 46 and verse 4, it says, There is a river, the streams whereof make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacle of the Most High. Most of the commentators believe this is the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. It is the Holy Spirit given to us that gives to us pleasures in God so that we can experience the pleasures of God, the grace and consolation of the Holy Spirit. But I got to, I got to meditating on the river of thy pleasures, the river of thy pleasures. Because obviously here in Revelation 22, here's a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and the Lamb. And it's in the middle of the street, so it's very central to everything that's going on here, uh, this communication of life. So we know that our life comes from God by the Spirit, through the work of Christ, the Holy Trinity, come together and conspire to give us life. And this is this conspiring of life and it's flowing out to the new Jerusalem and to all the inhabitants thereof. In fact, it says that there's trees on either side of this river. And they're bearing 12 manner of fruits every month. And the leaves are for the healing of the nations. So it's, a, it's not only a constant river and a constant communication of life. But there's constant fruitfulness, which is exactly right in heaven. That there will be constant fruitfulness there. Uh, there's never a time when the fruit is gone and the fruit is down and, and that the leaves are for the healing of the nations. Of course, people use uh, leaves now for and all kinds of herbs and things in the earth to heal with. So it's, it's a good picture. I've been drinking some teas this past week that have been helpful uh, out of the leaves. 
Well, this is the picture he gives to us. Certainly the people of the Orient understood it. That the nations are going to be healed. These nations that are bringing their glory in, it's going to be a place in which we're all healed. We're all made whole. There is a homeostasis. There's a well-being. There's a shalom. All of this is what is going on here in the picture. So just a few thoughts on... Um, the river of thy pleasures, the river of thy pleasures. What is this that he speaks of in Psalm 36, 8, and which we have a picture of here in Revelation chapter 22, the pleasures uh, of the Lord, the river of God's pleasures, of God's pleasures. This morning we're going to be in Romans talking about how we've been deprived of the glory of God. So the, both of these sermons have similarities to them. God's pleasures are, you know, who he is. God is the happy God. He's the God who's never not happy. He's always in a state of pleasure because he is holy and because he, all, of his, all of his attributes and characteristics are perfect. And so there's never... There's never a time in which he would feel what we feel, a pinch of, of conscience, of sadness, all the, all the pains that we feel. And we do feel, we feel a lot of pains in this life. I felt a few physical ones lately. That then the, when you get the physical pain, it ties you into some mental pain and emotional pain. Or if you get mental and emotional pain, that ties you into some physical pain. You can't get away from it. It's all tied together. But, you know, we experience mental, rational, emotional, social pains of all kinds. And, and as you know, if you, if you stay with a certain pain long enough, you can get used to it to some degree. You get a, a threshold. Of pain. Everybody has different thresholds of pain. Some people can take it more than others. Um, I remember when I was, when my finger got twisted, nearly twisted off, and they were trying to rehab me, and the girl was working on me, taking my hand, and just make me sweat. She, My whole body would be in a sweat in about 60 seconds when she got a hold of that hand. And I would sit there, you know, stoic, and I, I didn't want to say anything, and I guess my face was getting red. She said, well, don't let me hurt you too bad, or you're going to faint on me. We get to a certain threshold with regular pain, daily pain, whether it's emotional or whether it's physical, and we just get used to it because this is a life of pain. And when a person then gets like tipped over the brink, then they might have a nervous break, what we call a nervous breakdown, um, because the pain threshold has reached a certain point to where Mentally, emotionally, it has triggered something that causes a, some sort of crisis in the soul. Well, when he speaks, David speaks in Psalm 36 uh, that we read, they shall, abundantly, they shall be abundantly satisfied with the fatness of your house. This whole picture of this great house that has no end of of resources to help you and thou shalt make them drink of the river of your pleasures 
there, there, there are many things that we experience pleasure with in this life too that will be heightened in heaven. Heightened and maintained in a consi- with a consistency that we don't have now. We experience pleasure when we gain knowledge that we didn't previously have. There's something in us because we're made in the image of God that when we learn something new, it's pleasurable to us. We've acquired something. So it's something for us. And in heaven, there will ha- we will have that, I believe, always. There will be an acquiring constantly. And, and it will be pleasure. It's this, these are the pleasures of God. God has these pleasures in that he knows all and has the pleasure of all this knowledge. And we shall have that in eternal glory, something that we did not previously have. When we understand how a certain knowledge interacts with something in the world, it brings us pleasure. I mean, it brings me pleasure. Silly little things bring me pleasure. You know, town names. Where did those names come from? And then when I find out that this name came from this, it brings me some sort of weird little pleasure that I know that. Um, I've got to write it down so I can remember it. So Remlap. You all know the story of Remlap? Some of you do. I have to turn it around. Yeah, Palmer. You turn that backwards, it's Palmer. And the reason it's named Remlap is because a man named Palmer lived there and he wanted to name a town after himself, but he couldn't because his brother had already done that. So he swapped it around and he called the place Remlap. See, you smile. It brings you pleasure. It does. Just knowing things bring us pleasure. Who knows what God will allow us to have in eternal glory to to understand better our world since we got corrupted before we got put into this place. And there's so many things that bring us pleasure now to learn about his creation, like the bombardier beetle and other things like that. Um, I believe it's the rivers of pleasure that we shall have. When things are logical and they just make sense, when something's logical and you work it out logically. Now, my mom was a mathematician. There were things that were logical to her that were not logical to me because I hadn't gotten it yet. And she used to smile and tell me how much she loved mathematics and how wonderful mathematics was. And it wasn't pleasurable to me at the time. Once I learned it, then it was. But there's something about logic. And what is that? Why is that? Why does that, why does that please us? It's because we're made in the image of God and because God is logical. And so when we see something that's logical and we learn something that's logical, you see it with your kids. Now having the two little ones again, you forget some of these things as you're coming up, but they, you know, they come on to these little things that everybody knows, but they didn't know. And the lights come on and, you know, their eyes brighten, their soul brightens because they have learned something about the world. So I believe we will, this is part of the rivers of the pleasures of God. Everything will get logical to us. We will see the logic. We will understand better. The old song, we'll understand it better by and by. We will. We will. And also, when things are too wonderful, and yet they are so, There'll be that too. 
there's still going to be that in God which cannot be known fully for the finite creature, even our own creation. It says in Psalm 139 that things too wonderful for me. Even that gives us pleasure. Even when we can't get to the end of it, there's a pleasure in knowing that there's something beyond us and greater than us and more wonderful than us. And that's part of the rivers of the pleasure of God that will be communicated to us. The capacity of the human mind is just guessed at. There's a lot more study being done with the brain, with the mind, and it's always amazing the studies that they do, but it's still just a guess. We don't really know. We don't really know that there is an end of the capacity. I don't believe there is, actually. You know, they'll say, well, the capacity is this, and you only use 3%, and well, what, what, in heaven am I going to use up the rest of it, and then I'm just going to be, oh, can't do anything more. I don't believe it, because they also have done studies in which Recently, the last article, one of the articles Tara sent me, was when you do something which you really don't want to do, but you do it because you got to do it, and you push your way through, it talks about in that brain center that does that part, it enlarges, and there's more capacity, and you get more capacity to do even more than what you did, thought you couldn't do. So I believe part of the rivers of the pleasures of God is that endless capacity that the human mind will have for this kind of pleasure and learning and growing. We will never be God, but we will always be his wonderful creation in which he has programmed us to pleasure. He has programmed us to pleasure. From the beginning of the of time since the fall, there has been a searching to know the eternal God since we fell into darkness. And so men make stories up about the gods and the spirit world to try to understand uh, both the seen world as well as the unseen world. So I was studying some of the myths of Great Britain, you know, it's called Albion, and William Blake did a well, as far as I can tell, he did the only picture of somebody tried to picture Albion. And, but it was, it was the idea of the gods, you know, created England. The mermaids all had a choice. Neptune and his wife, the ruler of the seas, and that's where you get Britannica, the ruler of the seas. You know, they decided which island they were going to give to Albion. And uh, so the mermaid told them about this little gem in the blue waters. And so they went to see that gem, and sure enough, that's the one they wanted for their son. And so men have made up these stories because we want to know origins, we want to understand where things came from, and the spirit world even more so because there's so much unknown there. What pleasures shall we know out of the streams of God, of origins and of the unseen world? Hebrews tells us about you have come to the New Jerusalem with myriads of angels. What shall that be? just to have that opened up to our eyes as well. What kind of pleasures will that bring to our hearts and minds? Perhaps we will be allowed to understand more of the seen world too, perhaps of God's providence. I don't know what God will do with that, but certainly when we see and understand a providence that God has worked out unbeknownst to us, it brings us great pleasure 
It's part of the streams of God. And perhaps in the new heaven and the new earth, God will allow us to know and understand how his providence ruled in the world and in our own lives and in history and all those things which we study and try to understand now. There are beyond that which is just uh, perhaps intellectual. There are the pleasures of God's affections as well. Uh, the affection of love is always preeminent in Scripture, bringing rivers of pleasure. What is it to know a perfect love without a distraction? First Corinthians 7 talks about the whole debate during the time of crisis and persecution, whether you should marry or not marry, give your, give your daughter to marriage or not. And, but Paul, in that chapter, one of, the, one of the key verses that helps us to understand what he's talking about there is, what I want for you is to be able to serve God without distraction. That's my goal. And so heaven is going to be such a place in which we know the love of God and are able to serve him without a distraction. There will be love in heaven for one another, and there will be love in heaven for one another without jealousies. Jealousies hurt us right now. They bring pain to our lives. Envy brings pain to our life right now. Um, these are things in, that hurt our affections, that taint, that contaminate the affections. We want to have love, and we want to have as pure a love as possible because it's very pleasurable to have love, and yet we have these contaminants. The pleasure of exercising a perfect care over others. There's something about service that brings us pleasure. Uh, recently, I forgot who it was, but, um, oh, it was somebody talking about their wife taking care of somebody, and then when that person passed, or in another case, when that person went to be with someone else, there was a great hole left there because there's something about serving one another that is pleasurable to us. God has programmed that into us as well, especially for the saint. They can certainly experience it, but even those who are not in the Lord, it, I think it's a part of our humanity. So what will it be? What kind of pleasure will it be to exercise a perfect care over others without anxieties? Because while we're doing it, we're usually, we've usually got anxieties as well. We're worried about messing up. We're worried about hurting them. We're worried about something, you know, in our care for them. And yet in heaven, there will be the pleasure of exercising perfect care and love for each other without any of those anxieties. It's a joy and a happiness with never a disappointment. In Isaiah chapter 48, we can go there for a minute. Isaiah chapter 48. Verse 18, Oh, that you had hearkened to my commandments, then had your peace been as a river and your righteousness like the waves of the sea. Well, in heaven, there will not be the problem of not hearkening to the commandments of God. So then our peace is going to be like a river, like we have our wonderful songs and hymns. 
that even now we can experience a peace that passes our understanding. So we have those times and we have moments in which we lose peace, in which we're, we're struggling with things, lots of things. We call it stress, which brings pain to us in various ways. So when we have that sensation of trust in God, and he brings that peace that passes understanding in which there's this release, and you can sometimes physically feel it, that there's a release of all the stress because God has, has cared for this thing, and, we, and we're given this trust in him. So take that sensation and then just make it normal to us. What pleasures will heaven be when we can have that kind of peace, a peace that passes understanding, and it's, it's a constant thing for us. It's not something that comes and goes. In Isaiah chapter 66, at the very end of the book, in verse 12, For thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river, and the glory of the Gentiles like a flowing stream. And then shall you suck and be born upon her sides and be dandled upon her knees as one whom his mother comforts. So I will comfort you and you shall be comforted in, in Jerusalem. And he's talking about here about this abundance in the eternal state and this extension of peace to us. This will be a part of the pleasures, the rivers of pleasures, God's pleasures, that are given to us in the eternal state. The pleasure of an implicit trust, the pleasure of gentle, compassionate, loving, dwelling with our good shepherd, but also with each other. We will never have another harsh word with another. We'll never say again, I was a little harsh there. Could have been more gentle there. You know, I wasn't as compassionate as I should have been. And, and just to never have to have that experience again in which we will not bring pain to another nor bring pain upon ourselves because the, the rivers of the pleasure of God are being communicated to us. He tells us that even now he leads us beside the still waters and there it shall be uh, something continual. Numbers chapter 27, let's go there. Numbers chapter 27. And uh, verse 15. And Moses spoke to the Lord, saying, Let the Lord, the God of the spirits of all flesh, set a man over the congregation, which may go out before them, which may go in before them, and which may lead them out, and which may bring them in, that the congregation of the Lord be not as sheep which have no shepherd. And of course, the Lord chose Joshua to do that. But this is fulfilled in its fullness in the Lord Jesus Christ. That the Lord Jesus Christ is the shepherd that's going to be set before us to take us out and to bring us in and to shepherd us. This is part of the pleasures. The pleasure is that God is going to give us a shepherd, a ruler, a Lord, a master, who's not like the shepherd lords and masters of this earth. 
who so oftentimes disappoint us, sometimes even hurt us. Isaiah chapter 49. Isaiah chapter 49, verse 8. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time have I heard thee, and in a day of salvation I have helped you. I will preserve you. I will give you for a covenant of the people to establish the earth and to cause to inherit the desolate heritages. Uh, And I guess that's somewhat of a description of us now, isn't it? We have a heritage. We've been given the earth. And much of it is desolate heritages now, isn't it? Because of war because of famine, because of bad ideologies, um, because of war against God. But the day will come when Christ will rule, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to them that are in darkness, show yourselves, they shall feed in the ways, their pastures shall be in the high places, they shall not hunger, they shall not thirst, neither shall the heat or sun smite them, and he that has mercy on them shall lead them even by the springs of water, and he shall guide them. Once again, this imagery of the water and of the rest and of the peace and of the pleasures of God. Uh, And this is Christ. This is Christ who leads us in these places. And then Ezekiel chapter 37. I am breaking in a new Bible so it doesn't turn so well. Ezekiel chapter 37, verse 24. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they, shall, they all shall have one shepherd, and they shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes, and they'll do them, and they shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children and their children's children forever, And my servant David shall be their prince forever. Of course, this is not King David. This is David's greater son, our Lord Jesus Christ. And moreover, I will make a covenant of peace with them, and it shall be an everlasting covenant with them. I will place them, multiply them, set my sanctuary in the midst of them forevermore. My tabernacle also shall be with them. Yes, I will be their God and they will be my people. And the heathen will know that I, the Lord, sanctify Israel when my sanctuary shall be in the midst of them forever. So there was a return to the land, and sometimes in these prophecies there is a prophecy of closer import of a return to the land, blessing of God upon Israel. But obviously the the greatest fulfillment of this is David's greater son, in which we've been reading about the temple is in the midst of them because Christ is that temple, and Christ is the one who grants them these rivers of pleasure. All right, we'll finish where we are right now with Revelation chapter 7. Because as you, as you read your Bible and you, you, know, you read a passage and it, it's a glowing promise, a glowing promise. And intuitively in your mind, when you read some of these glowing promises, you say to yourself, but when has that ever happened in a completeness? And the answer is in Revelation 22. That's where it is. So 
when you read those Old Testament texts and you read things about promises made to Israel, which have a fulfillment in their return to the land, but you know that you know that the, that it wasn't with the same kind of final fullness that that promise is making. So therefore, you say, okay, it's a type, and but there is a day, and that's where you you gain benefit from the scripture and joy. There is a day when this shall know its fullness in its fullness. So Revelation 7, 17 says, For the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them unto the living fountains of waters, and God shall wipe away all their tears. The pleasures of God. So we'll we'll go on next week and consider a few more of these pleasures of God that come from the throne. I think we need to encourage our hearts with these things. Um, and that's why when we near to death or when we come to death, we don't, we don't go kicking and screaming or with any regrets. We are happy to go to such a place like this if we know about this place. So let's learn about it. Thank you, Father, for your word and for the promises of this eternal state. And we are uh, wrecked with sin now and, and all kinds of sadness, Lord, and all kinds of uh, foolishness that we do. And we look to thee for forgiveness under thy blood. And, but we do look forward to that time in which your pleasures will be unremitting to us because we will be fixed in a state of righteousness, the righteousness of our Lord. So we pray, Lord, that you would encourage each heart as we consider this eternal state and continue to give us more thoughts, uh, Lord, about the perfection of this place and the glory of this place. And we pray these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.